I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town Welcome to this edition of the Devil's Junkie Minicast. I'm your host, Ralph Amsden. Uh, fresh off vacation, took a took a nice road trip uh, through the mountains of California and, and to coastal Oregon. Uh, visited Stanford, visited University of Oregon, got chased out of Yosemite by uh, that terrible wildfire they're having out there. Uh, but made it back in time to get back in my car and drive out to L.A. and hit Pac-12 Media Day, uh, where Hode Rubino of Devil's Digest and I had an opportunity to uh, interview Herm Edwards, interview Manny Wilkins. Um, I spent some time one-on-one -on -one with Nikhil Harry, and you'll hear from him uh, in this minicast, uh, and then just kind of get to know some of the coaches around the Pac-12, some of the players around the Pac-12, and it was definitely an interesting experience. This is the fourth Pac-12 media day uh, that I have been to as part of Devil's Digest, and it's sort of, I mean, I won't say the evolution, it's almost like the devolution of of Pac-12 media days, they, they've shrunk it down to one day now, whereas, you know, SEC media days can go on for several days. Um, they, they do it at Hollywood and Highland um, in a conference room up on the fifth floor. You know, they have Radio Row up there at the same time as they have uh, the media scrum going on. Um, you know, they'll have a coach speak at the same time as uh, of uh, both of their athletes, and, you know, they'll get you transcripts. And this year they asked for star players to come out and that, you know, that was an interesting change. I think most of the time people try to bring their star players, but, you know, some people were just sort of bringing whoever they thought. Maybe they were using it as an incentive, you know, whoever earned it, um, whoever had the best grades. I'm not really sure how they were doing it, but this year the Pac-12 tried to really put an emphasis on, you know, make sure you bring your best players out. Uh, Bryce Love couldn't make it because of a school commitment. He ended up Skyping in, um, so that was kind of an interesting experience. But they packed it all into one 8 a.m., to uh, about 6 p.m. day, um, and I, I think that's probably going to be the way that it is uh, from now on. You know, the 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 Pac-12 um, media day uh, time-wise probably uh, accurately represented the the Pac-12 uh, revenues um, when compared against some of the other major conferences. As far as a major conference goes. You know, the Pac-12 is much more laid back, um, and, and it's probably, you know, it's probably the little brother when you're talking about the Big Ten, Big 12, ACC, and SEC. Uh, Larry Scott was there, Commissioner Larry Scott. Uh, wasn't really, um, you know, I've never really been a big fan of his approach to Pac-12 Media Day. Every single year he gets up there in front of the teleprompter. There's nothing wrong with teleprompters. There's nothing wrong with preparation. Battles are won in preparation. More power to you for not just going up there and flying blind. But, you know, this is a guy who lives in, you know, he's from New York, but lives in Silicon Valley, makes more than any other conference commissioner, makes well over $4 million a year. And everything's super corporate. Everything's super polished. Uh, anything that is considered a potential negative is spun into seeming like a positive. Uh, and that's that's not really something I've ever uh, appreciated from Larry Scott as far as, um, you know, as, as what he's brought to the table. Because their inability to strike a deal with direct TV, um, you know, is, is something that, is a huge point of frustration 
um, for a lot of people, a lot of Pac-12 uh, athletics fans all over um, all over the country, really. And it's something that he's really not seemed to ever take seriously and just shrugged off. And ultimately, it's a failure on his shoulders. But he he hasn't really felt the heat and the sweat. And, you know, perhaps that's just because this is a much more laid-back conference with a much more uh, laid-back fan base. But this year, he did a couple of things in particular that, 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 that really stood out to me. Um, one of which was acknowledging the fact that the Pac-12 went 1-8. and eight in last year's bowl games. Um, and, and what he had to say about it was very interesting. He said, Much was written and discussed about our bowl record last year, but from our perspective, a handful of season-ending games are not a key indicator of a conference's overall strength and competitiveness. Okay, so he says that losing those games, going going 1-8, and eight, isn't an indicator of the conference's overall strength. But then he turns around and says, nine of our 12 teams qualified for bowls and we placed two teams in six in the six New Year's bowls. So they had four teams among the top 25, two that played in the New Year's six, and nine qualify for bowls. Essentially what he's saying here is it's not how you finish, it's where you finish. That the Pac-12 should be credit given credit for essentially showing up to these bowl games and getting their butt kicked, and that when you when you actually see the end result, you don't you don't take that into account. And it's an amazing, just an amazing ability to put a, a corporate spin on losses that probably really shouldn't be laid at, at his feet. Anyway, sometimes you have a down year. Sometimes the matchups aren't in your favor. Uh, and then he, he really could have said that. You know, there were some really good teams that Pac-12 teams went up against. We, You know, the Pac-12 got nine uh, teams into bowl games. You're not going to win them all, but we're proud of the fact that nine showed up. Instead, he says, a handful of season-ending games aren't a key indicator of a conference's overall strength, but getting there is. Right, so it's not it's 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 not uh, that Conor McGregor lost a fight to Floyd Mayweather that should tell you whether or not he's a better fighter than Floyd Mayweather. It's the fact that he stepped in the ring in the first place that you should be able to equate him as a great fighter for even getting in the ring. Uh, things like that don't necessarily make sense to me, and maybe I'm reading way too far into it. Um, but I feel like he didn't just replace winning with attendance as a measure for success, but he kind of painted the conference's relative lack of exposure and lagging broadcast revenues as advantageous. Um, he said, you know, you, uniquely amongst conference networks, we've got full control of our rights and content, which preserves the flexibility we need to adapt to this rapidly changing media landscape and provides the freedom to experiment with new technologies and ultimately will allow us to maximize our values long term. So basically what he's saying is, hey, you know, we're not really tied down to anyone. You know, we're not getting big bucks from any of these huge contracts. But in the event that it ever arises in the future, um, we're open because we're not tied down. So he's basically saying we might not be making money now, but we could in the future. I can't tell you how, but because the media landscape is ever changing, if anything comes up, we're available. And that's Good. But ultimately, what the Pac-12 schools see are relatively small paychecks and revenue checks 
in comparison to what everybody else is getting while they support a conference commissioner who makes more uh, than than anybody else does. So not only is he replacing winning with attendance as a measure uh, for success, his assertion that things that look like disadvantages on the surface are actually really advantages, um, I think, is, is basically... You know, one of those things that that will not cause your casual fan um, to to feel inspired by a guy, especially when they're having trouble even, you know, being able to view the games. And ultimately, that's what matters most to, um, you know, to to any fan is that they have access. And he's saying, you know, you might you it might be a headache for you now, but the fact that you could have access in the future uh, is something that you should be encouraged about. I just think that spin like that is just absolutely fascinating. Um, and, you know, I, it's not for me to say whether or not Larry Scott's doing a good job. And if, you know, if the presidents of these universities and the athletic directors of these universities are behind uh, his efforts to for essentially to turn the Pac-12 into, um, you know, the, the more relaxed uh, power five conference, um, you know, then they're going to do what they're going to do. And there's, there's not much that I can do and no real authority that I have to speak into that situation. I'll tell you that ultimately people just want to be able to watch the games and have their teams be competitive. Um, and if they're not competitive, then I don't know if that's something that you can lay at a conference commissioner's feet, but if you can't access those games, I think that that ultimately falls uh, at the feet of the commissioner. And it's going to come down to whether or not Pac-12 fans are passionate enough uh, to be able to make their voices heard for these options to open up for them. And that's really all I have to say about that. Uh, Pac-12 Media Day was very interesting. Uh, a few a few of my takeaways um, from, from Pac-12 Media Day. First and foremost, uh, Chip Kelly is exactly where he belongs as head coach of UCLA. I don't think that his trip to the NFL was um, really played to his strengths. The NFL does things a certain way, and he came in wanting to – you know, have essentially the control uh, that a college coach has um, in any given situation while sort of trying to buck the system of, you know, what works offensively and and defensively. You know, I think he he had some personality clashes with some people and ultimately wasn't really successful tenure in the NFL. Financially, incredibly successful. That guy's set for life. Good for him. But the level of comfort that he had commanding the room when he was on the stage, um, uh, as a representative of UCLA was uh, it, it was fun to watch i think you know that that's somebody that will be a force to be reckoned with and he wasn't shy about saying that you know ultimately this UCLA team's not going to look like Oregon and it's not really fair to anybody um to 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 be compared to Oregon but that ultimately what he what it's going to come down to for him is recruiting the right guys to make sure that they're able to compete defensively uh, and and he'll get that offense going, and so I think that that's something that ASU fans definitely are keeping an eye on, uh, as far as you know whether Chip Kelly can take what Jim Mora did as far as recruiting elite athletes and actually make something of them because you get a lot of kids that are high profile that get out there to LA and there's just a little bit too much going on and it's hard to develop some of those guys that are that are already peaking and, and already really really good and you know one of the things that Chip Kelly was famous for is is finding guys that weren't necessarily really physically developed yet or had a great eye for quarterbacks um, that that weren't necessarily uh, guys that um, that you know had that five star rating and so 
You know, I, I think he could be a really good thing for, for UCLA. Obviously, you don't want to make any judgment based solely off of how they present themselves at Pac-12 Media Day. But I will say for the first time in several years, he seems comfortable. And uh, and I, I found that to be um, very interesting. One of the other things that stood out to me is I, I love uh, asking David Shaw questions that are sort of outside the box or, or you know, uh, outside the gridiron of what, you know, what goes on on the field. He's never one that's really shy about his opinion of things. And one of the things that I asked him um, is what he thinks of the trend of schools offering 250 to 300 kids per recruiting cycle. And he, you know, because Stanford, they don't really offer that many. And Stanford's already sort of in trouble because as they move things back, as they move the early signing period back, and it will eventually probably just become the signing period, you know, Stanford's admissions process kind of causes them to suffer a little bit. So they're backed against the wall a little bit. They don't really extend very many offers. They're very selective when they're recruiting, but they don't extend the offers that aren't committed, committable. And so, you know, when, when I asked him about what he thinks of these schools that, that extend, you know, 300 offers, he, he was just, you know, he was adamant. Um, he used the word asinine. That it's completely asinine that schools do this. He said, because those other schools have offered, you know, 299 other guys, are you sure that your offer is a real offer? Or is their way more respectful of doing it where they're willing to offer you a scholarship once you you know that you have a spot for them? Um, you know, and I, that's something that I, as, as a recruiting reporter and everything that I've done for Devil's Digest and the confusion that comes with, you know, whether or not you're getting an offer uh, contingent on whether you can make a camp or whether you're getting an offer contingent on whether the five guys ahead of you all turn the school down. Um, you're getting an offer based on, you know, them wanting to get attention from one of your teammates or or a, rel- a younger relative or something like that. All of those things are just absolutely maddening to deal with. Um, and you like the idea that if somebody gets an offer, that that means that the relationship is built and it's something that's committable. Obviously, that's not the way that some teams do things. Arizona State is creeping up there in offers, and part of that's because they had a full turnover in most of their coaching staff. So everybody that they offered prior to this coaching staff, those offers might not necessarily stand. So they're up over 200. Then you have schools like Oregon, where pretty much for the most part, that whole staff was there outside of Willie Taggart taking off. And, you know, they're getting close to 300 offers offers and and you know what do those offers necessarily mean obviously it's not hurting Oregon they're number four overall in the recruiting rankings right now and just flipped Joey Capra from ASU to Oregon they're doing fine and that brings me to my next Pac-12 media day observation that I thought was very interesting is that it feels to me like Oregon is doing what Ray Anderson outlined for Arizona State, what he'd like to see Arizona State doing. And I talked to Mario Cristobal, uh, the head coach of Oregon, out there at Pac-12 Media Day about how he's able to come in with a losing record as a head coach, first-year head coach, hasn't been a head coach in years, coming off of two mediocre years, I think they're 11 and 14 over the last two years, and come in and just get a bunch of you know four-star recruits right off the bat like that. Um, and you know what? This is what he had to say. He said, well, the energy is awesome, but let's call it what it is. Oregon's an awesome place. When I was in Miami, I knew Oregon was an awesome place. When I was in Alabama, I knew Oregon was an awesome place. When you combine that with the fact that we have high energy, relentless, tireless workers as coaches, most importantly, they're very real, very genuine, no head faking, no nonsense. The fact that when you look at that level of expertise from the guys that we put on staff, if I'm a student athlete and I look for a place to go that's committed to me and has the ability to take me to the next level, it's hard to beat. 
So he's basically saying, like, no, we got all these great coaches that are great recruiters, but ultimately, you know, Oregon as a brand recruits itself. And you have to wonder as an Arizona State fan, is that ultimately what ASU is missing? Or is this coaching staff going to be able to accomplish what it is that Ray Anderson outlined? He said that he wants to be top 15 regularly. He said he wants to be top three in the conference regularly. He said he wants to have top 25 recruiting classes with four and five stars regularly. Well, that's what Oregon is doing right now with a brand new head coach coming off of two down years. Yet at Arizona State, we're told that we're probably going to have to wait till 2020, 2021 to see that come into effect. And so it is interesting to see one Pac-12 team ultimately execute what Ray Anderson's vision is, but that team not be the one that Ray Anderson was in charge of making the hire for. Um, But again, Oregon's brand is strong. They've played in some serious bowl games in the last few years. They obviously played for a national championship. They've got that Nike money. It is easy to understand how they've got that juice. You just have to ask the question, you know, can Arizona State get there as well? So um, those were some of my my Pac-12 media day uh, takeaways. There were a few other things. I think Utah linebacker Chase Hansen uh, is going to have an absolute monster year if he is healthy. Um, I will say that, you know, talking to Khalil Tate is always fun. Uh, I asked him about the Territorial Cup game uh, against ASU last year and how, you know, Arizona was leading when he went out. And he, he said he wanted to make sure, you know, that the other team, being Arizona State, knows what's up. That they know uh, that they caught a break when he went to the sideline, which... I got a couple of DMs from uh, some people affiliated with this year's Arizona State team that uh, that are treating that as billboard material. So uh, that's definitely interesting. But um, since this is just a mini cast, it's just going to be about 25 minutes or so. I wanted to jump into uh, the segment. Got Nikhil Harry as a guest. Was able to talk to him out at Pac-12 Media Day. And you know, while a lot of people you know had a lot of football questions for him, this is somebody who I've you know had a relationship with since his sophomore year in high school. Marcos Deniza before he transferred to Chandler and then while he transferred to Chandler you know continued um, to, to follow his career was was there uh, you know when he made his commitment to Arizona State at, you know spent half an hour on the phone with him the night before you know with him just talking about the the development he's made as a, as a person which is something that I've gotten to see um, you know uh, up close and personally he, he he's you know full disclosure uh, he, he's somebody that I've I openly root for as a young man to go and do uh, uh, big things, especially based on his circumstances and where where he comes from, being raised by his grandmother, Felna, and I know how important uh, she is to him and, and everything that he ultimately chooses to do uh, with his life. But, you know, it's it's always great to see Nikhil Harry and where he came from, be able to admit um, that he has areas of his life where he is working on improving them and, and making sure that he makes himself proud, making sure that he makes his grandmother proud, and making sure that he makes the Arizona State fan base, the kids that look up to him, um, proud as well. So uh, here is Nikhil Harry, star wide receiver for Arizona State. We're not talking football. Uh, we're talking about his growth and development as a young man. So hopefully you enjoy. All right, Ralph Amzen, host of the Devil's Junkie podcast. 
I'm sure I've had you on other podcasts, other shows over time, but I got Nikhil Harry here out in uh, Hollywood, California. No real break from the heat, though. It's a little bit hot out here. Yeah, yeah it's very hot out here. So I, I just wanted to hit you with a couple of questions because you, you've answered so many questions today. Um, but just about I mean, your, your progress as a person and, and an athlete at Arizona State, because that's, that's one of the things that, you know, I, I think a lot, of, a lot of people who, they watch you play and they're like, oh, you know, that's a guy I got to talk to. That's a guy, I, you know, I got to ask questions. You know, I, I met you in a, in a Filiberto's your sophomore year after <laughs> right. scoring a couple touchdowns for Marco Staniza. And, and, you know, and people told me, you got to talk to this guy. You got to interview this guy. He's the guy. Um, and you're fulfilling all of those expectations. Um, I just got, I, I got to ask you, man, what, what has it been like to know, you know, Mike Farrell hits you with that five star after you're out in Las Vegas, you know, you, you perform in front of him, super cold morning, you know, and they, they hit you, they hit you with that, that five star. And ever since then, it's been, you know, you got to meet these lofty expectations, but you've been able to do it. Um, what, what's that been like? Um, it's, it's really been a blessing. Um, I thank God every day. I thank my grandmother every day for, for getting me to the point I'm at now. Um, just how much I've grown, um, and it's it's really unbelievable to be honest. Um, I remember being a senior in high school, sophomore, junior in high school, just just sitting there, just hoping I would I would do something one day. I would I would I would play D1. I would get to run out of Tillman Tunnel, and to be standing here right now, and, and everything that's happened to me has happened. I'm extremely blessed, but but with that being said, I know how much work I have to do, and I know in order to keep going in the direction I'm going, it's it's gonna take something extra. It's gonna take me being different, and I feel like if if I keep my faith, if I keep being humble, then I should have no problem doing and fulfilling the expectations that 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 are bestowed upon me. And you know, I mean, it's no it's no news to you. A lot of people in your situation, with with your family situation, you know, moving high schools or whatever else going on, uh, you know, that that's not writing on the wall for for a success story. That means you're going to be overcoming adversity. And I feel like personally, from watching you, that you've you know you've grown as a player, but as a person, right. you know, that and that that's that's been a process for you. Just tell me a little bit about what it's what it's been like, you know, maturing, knowing, you know, the the, the some of the things that you're going to have to overcome to make your dreams a reality. It's it's definitely been tough for me. There's there's a lot of days where I question if I was going to make it if if I was gonna live up to expectations. But in those days, you know, my grandma would really help me out. Even if I didn't talk to her directly, I would think back on everything she struggled with. I, I would really think to myself, if this woman can, can retire back home and come to the United States and start working all over again, just for me, then why can't I sacrifice? Uh, why can't I change as a person? Why can't I become better? Uh, because my grandma really doesn't I'm not going to say she doesn't care about football, but but it's not what's most important to her. She wants me to to become a, a great man, to become a great father, a great husband, and I feel like I need to fulfill those those expectations from her. Um, that's that's the number one goal on my list to make my grandmother proud uh, and and to really represent my family in a positive way. It feels like you've always kind of had that awareness. I remember I called you the night before your commitment. You know, we talked for probably 30 minutes, and you're like, yeah, you know, all this stuff is great, but 
I want to tell you, I just got baptized. Like, you know, I got, you know, and, and you, you, you get excited about the progress that you're making as a human being. You know, I watched you, your first game at Chandler, get tossed because someone got <laughs> under your skin. I watched you, your last game for Sean Aguano, get tossed because you scored twice on <laughs> right. some Canadian dude that wouldn't right. stop talking. You know, but at ASU, you know, when you line up, you have someone that's trying to get in your head. Is that is, you just think about felony, you think about your grandma, you think about those goals and, and the ultimate outcome, and, and, and that's able to kind of keep those competitive juices to a, uh, uh, to a level where they help you instead of hurt you? Yeah, I just, I just try to maintain my composure I just need to stay level-headed because she's in those stands watching me if, if I, I truly realize now that if I act out everybody's gonna turn their heads straight to my grandmother just because I'm her kid um, so I wouldn't want to do anything to embarrass her I know I've embarrassed her in the past and I've learned from my mistakes and, and I want to make sure that that doesn't ever happen again you feel like you've had that grace and room to grow to make mistakes and then turn around and also do things the right way and see, like, oh, no, this works out for me much better. Right, right. I've, I've, I've learned that a lot because there's, there's been times where I've been experimenting. I've, I've, I've been doing things that, that, that weren't going to get me to, to where I am, that, that weren't going to get me to the NFL. Um, it's, but, but it was mostly the little things in my life. It was mostly like... Like, like stupid things like time management and, and just maintaining my composure. Like like if somebody says something that's gonna get under my skin, why would I really let it get under my skin? Because they win in the end. Um, and it's just been thinking like that that has really got me through the tough times. I appreciate your growth as a player and a person. Really look forward to seeing what you do on the field this year. Thank you, I appreciate it. Here in a couple of days, Arizona State will be kicking off fall practice. No camp tea this year, but evening practices. So I'm going to be out at every single practice alongside Hode Rubino. Uh, we'll, we'll be out there. We'll be bringing the, the the information from you know this 2018 Arizona State squad. What's it going to look like? Um, you know, who are some of the key players going to be? I, I'm going to be keeping a real close eye on Traylon Smith. Um, you know, I think he's somebody who flashes a lot of potential as a change of pace guy for Eno Benjamin. Somebody that I'm really excited about. I've been waiting, you know, years for Jalen Bates to 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 live up to the potential that he showed in in Camp T when he was a freshman and he was beating up on Arizona State's offensive line. Uh, I will say, I, I will add this. We'll close with this: that Arizona State was picked to finish last in the Pac-12 South. And I find that to be very interesting because USC was picked first, right? So USC was picked to finish first in the Pac-12 South. And I think that ultimately the media doesn't necessarily bring a historical perspective or maybe really even put all that much effort into what they're doing as, as far as their predictions. I have no doubt in my mind that some people absolutely go out of their way. I mean, if you read Ho Rubino's stuff on Devil's Digest, there are people who have a lot of thought that go into this. And if you're going to make it into a content item of saying, here's who I voted for and why, you better have put thought into it or otherwise, you know, you're ultimately going to be exposed. But as Joe Healy pointed out, somebody voting for Colorado to be first in the Pac-12 South seemed sort of asinine. Um, but USC was voted first and they, they don't have a starting quarterback, right? 
And and uh, they're ultimately probably going to be starting an untested underclassman, possibly even JT Daniels, who should be a senior in high school this year. And they're basically saying USC is so good that no matter who they throw out there at quarterback, although completely inexperienced, they're going to win the Pac-12 South. When not even history backs them up on this, the last three times that UCLA started an underclassman quarterback out of the gates, they finished sixth in the Pac-10 in 2009 with Matt Barkley, third in the Pac-12 South in 2013 with Cody Kessler, second in the Pac-12 South in 2016 with Sam Darnold. So you're basically saying that if, you know, Matt Fink or Jack Sears, who I'm definitely not a believer in, but if, you know, I, I'll just throw Jack Sears out, out the window. I, I don't think he can come in and win the Pac-12 South. But, so Matt Fink or JT Daniels wins the starting job. That they're going to come in and they're going to have more success out of the gate overall than Matt Barkley, Cody Kessler, and Sam Darnold. And I think that's ridiculous when you put it that way. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. But USC has that sort of brand, that that respect. Conversely, Arizona State is bringing back a third-year starting quarterback, bringing back their entire receiving core, including the best, highest-projected draft pick for 2019 uh, as far as receivers uh, in, in Nikhil Harry. They're bringing back most of their offensive line and plugging a hole with a, with a high-caliber Stanford transfer in Casey Tucker. And some of the defense, you know, was really coming on strong at the end of last year that has a lot of experience, whether it's Daz Tautolatasi or or J.J. Wilson. Obviously, you know, they're going to be missing D.J. Cal- Calhoun. They're going to be missing Christian Sam. But the the defensive backs are as deep as they've ever been. The real question mark is ultimately on the defensive line for Arizona State. But special teams, they're bringing back both starters. And they had the number 36 recruiting class in the country. So are they really going to go from two to six in one year? Ultimately, this is a media indictment of them thinking the Herm Edwards hire is ridiculous. The media is outright rejecting the idea that Herm Edwards can have any success. They're actually projecting that Herm Edwards will cause a detriment to Arizona State University football. What you find interesting? I think that anybody who's being intellectually honest would say that if Todd Graham was still there, or even if Billy Napier had been promoted, that this is a team that probably could have been projected as high as third in the Pac-12 South. They beat Colorado last year. They beat Utah last year. They beat Arizona last year. So, ultimately, it comes down to Herm Edwards. And the most interesting thing about the fact that it comes down to Herm Edwards is that the same media group that cast all of the votes that essentially, you know, they picked ASU to finish fifth last year. And Manny Wilkins was very quick to point out that, you know, he's not frustrated and they're not using this as bulletin board material. And that it's not necessarily considered disrespect because the media screwed this up last year. So they have an understanding that ultimately this is what happens and they're just predictions and you don't take it personally. But at the same time, you finished second last year and you're coming back. And I think that if you're Manny Wilkins, no matter what you say, you kind of check that off in your mind. Like, all right, you were wrong once. We'll see you be wrong again. But it's ultimately an indictment of Herm Edwards. They believe that Herm Edwards will ultimately be a detriment to ASU football. And at the same time, guess who had the biggest media scrum outside of the two L.A. schools that are just a few miles away from where the media event's taking place? It was Herm Edwards in Arizona State. 
Because they all want to see if he's going to say something goofy. They all want to be able to get some viral content out of it. And I find that incredibly interesting. I'm a member of the media, and had, had I filled out a preseason prediction, I probably would have had ASU third, maybe fourth. Uh, I got this crazy feeling that ultimately US, UCLA will be much better than you know th- than anyone believes. But you know, this is it's it is fascinating to me that that Herm Edwards wouldn't be at, at the very least considered neutral as somebody who has you know 30 years of experience in coaching. That ultimately, if you believe that he's a detriment to the recruiting cycle, that's one thing. But what you're saying is that this guy, you know, who was a head coach in the NFL for the better part of a decade, is actually going to come in and lose games for Arizona State. But I don't think it's a bad position for Arizona State to be in. Think about it this way. ASU is in a position where it basically if they're coming out of the tunnel with their helmets on correctly, that's going to be considered an achievement. All eyes are on ASU. You could tell from just everyone being around the media scrum. Everyone wants to, you know, they might not be on the train, but they want to see if the train's going to wreck. So nearly everyone expects ASU to fail. And I don't think that's a bad position to be in if you're ASU. Because whether the players use the projections as motivation, the whole our backs against the wall, us against the world underdog thing, uh, or a measuring stick, because ultimately if they think that you're going to be last and you do anything other than last, there's nothing to lose for the 2018 squad. They are freed up to go out there, play football, and have fun. Anything that they do, if they can knock off Michigan State, shoot at this point, if they can get revenge on San Diego State, I think people would be surprised. That's a good position to be in if you're ASU. If everyone's going to doubt you, if everybody's going to say that your head coach is actually going to cause your program harm, then you go out there, you have a couple of good games, make people feel like idiots. And, you know, if, if you knock somebody, if you take the rug out from under somebody's feet, when they get back up again, ultimately they're probably going to be standing on your side. Media's fickle like that. I'm a member of the media. I get it. But I just thought that was interesting. So we'll go ahead and close out this Devil's Junkie minicast. Big thank you to Nikhil Harry uh, for sharing some of his experience and his growth uh, as a young man at Arizona State. Huge, huge, huge thank you to Hode Rubino for everything he does over at Devil's Digest. Make sure that you subscribe to devilsdigest.com. Join us in the message boards. Uh, Join a fantastic community of fantastic people and make sure that you're getting some of the best information around. Shout out to, uh, to, to my friends over at the Speak of the Devil's podcast. I know that they're recording a show tonight. Can't wait to hear it. Make sure that you follow Joe Healy and Brad Denny uh, on Twitter. This has been Ralph Amston and uh, another edition of the Devil's Junkie podcast minicast episode. Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. All my friends were vampires Didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself in the devil town